Hello and welcome to Rapids Fire, the Accelerated Data Science Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Mahler. Our guest this week is Eben Aldridge, Senior Manager for the Rexus Platform Team at NVIDIA. And we have a really interesting conversation about tabular deep learning, what he and his team are doing to make recommendation systems easier to build and deploy, his team's recent victory on the ACM Rexus Challenge, and a lot more. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did, and I'll be back after the break. Thanks. Even thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on. Rapids is such a, an integral part of the work that we're doing. So it, it's it's great to, to get a chance to chat with, uh, with the Rapids community. I'll begin by asking you, like I ask all my guests, how did you end up here today? Give us a little bit of an outline of your career journey in data science. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started uh, a long, long time ago back in a master's in hardware development, programmable logic. Um, and was really passionate about that and was excited to uh, go off and start building new new microchips. You know, right as I graduated, the dot-com bubble crashed and uh, that was no longer a feasibility. I had a startup that I was doing that was doing software to make music and some more artistic endeavors and doing some photography. And that was kind of how I was making my living at the time. In that process, a prof teased me back to my alma mater, UBC to do a PhD in computational photography. And so I did a PhD in that and, you know, the mix of this is pre-deep learning days. And so it's, you know, it's very, very different from what you do with deep learning nowadays. And, you know, and really all of the work that I've done in my PhD could be reproduced in a single deep learning model in about five minutes, um, which I think is, is pretty classic or pretty, pretty, pretty common for classic uh computer vision. And then uh, I taught for a little while and decided, you know, industry was interesting and I went to go work for an online dating site, Plenty of Fish. First, the first researcher hired there and, and part of a very small team. And you know, we were looking at a couple of different kind of concepts, you know, around machine learning, some sort of on the image side, which is what I was initially hired for was like, kind of naughty image detection, which is a, a funny place <laughs> to get started. We had this in, internal project to try and detect nudity and, and other things that we don't want, you know, our users to be seeing or sharing on the site. And in that process sort of began exploring the idea of recommender systems and how the users of this dating site could be recommended to each other. And that was a very fascinating space. The founder of that site was awesome to work with and a really interesting team we built there. And then the sort of the company got sold and you know priority shifted, things shifted within and, and I decided it was time to move on. And that was the time I got into deep learning. And I, I was actually in some time off in between roles, found the Fast AI course and got really deep into fast AI and, and super grateful to Jeremy Howard and, and Rachel Thomas and, and the founders there and met a lot of really amazing people over the course of the time that I sort of focused on that. For a short period of time there, I was one of the most active people on the forum and, you know, got super deep into it and thankfully had the time to do it and got really into tabular deep learning and then ended up working at uh, realtor.com for a number of years. And it's it's one of those interesting kind of recommendation spaces where similar to online dating, you've got, you know, users to users, everyone's unique. There's this sort of aspect of like, once that product, whether it's a, you know, a person or a, a house is bought or in a serious relationship, they're off the market. And so there were some interesting parallels there. And I ended up you know, working there for two and a half years and, and then gave a presentation at Rexus that got me in touch with my, my current boss, Nico. And uh, he posted on Twitter a couple of weeks after we kind of had this really interesting conversation about recommender systems and deep learning in that aspect. I guess he'd heard about the, the talk at Rexus through one of his colleagues and 
And so we were we were chatting about that, and then he posted this position about tabular deep learning, and and that piqued my interest because it was a passion of mine, and the thought about doing it full time seemed really enticing, and and I joined his org to to focus on that. It was just me, team of one, and really the role there was to kind of figure out how Rapids would interact or intersect with the deep learning libraries, and so there was you know there's a lot of work that went into poking around at you know what QDF was and what it does and how it works and and then exploring like what's going on with the sort of the interface between that and the deep learning libraries and realizing like there's some big gaps here in terms of like how the data gets loaded into a recommender system uh, model and you know if you think about like when all these tools were built for deep learning it was in the era of computer vision where it first come from. In computer vision, you've got this big image and you're feeding that big image into, into the, the model. And so you can kind of collate a bunch of big images and feed them across as a batch. And that's a relatively efficient kind of transfer of data to the GPU. But if that big image is instead just a single line of tabular data, you know, you're, you're essentially doing random access grabs of data across your hard drive, which is, you know, just about the worst possible access pattern you can get. And so we started playing around with how to make things different and, and grew in scope. We've grown now to the point where there's you know, 10 of us uh, on the, the ambitabular side. And we also have a partner team in China that's, that's called Huge CTR. We're kind of building tools on top of the, the Rapids ecosystem and basically trying to take you know, things like the QDF data frame libraries and operation that think about things at the data frame level and abstracting them to a higher level of abstraction. When did tabular deep learning appear? When did those problems start becoming more tractable? I would love to hear about the evolution of this set of techniques that has been so important the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. I think for a lot of people, the jury's still out for tabular deep learning. And I think that's, you know, that's a fair assessment. There's a lot of great tools you can use for tabular data, like, you know, XGBoost. Tabular-based deep learning is one of those areas where, you know, there's been a few kind of good successes within the Kaggle community. And that's sort of where I first started seeing it and picking up on it. The Fast AI program had a, you know, a, a tabular section to it. it. It really wasn't well fleshed out. And you know, there's just sort of this idea of here's your categorical variables, here's your continuous variables, and we're going to do some basic things to get them through. There's been some recent papers in the last year that have kind of demonstrated that, you know, at least theoretically, the tabular models, if they're properly tuned and, and properly regularized, can outperform the these models. One of the challenges I think that the, the biggest challenge I see is really like most of the tabular data sets are, are quite small by comparison to, to other data sets. And so, you know, when you've got 50,000 examples, it's very hard for these types of like deep learning based systems to dominate. When I talk to customers in industry, we see a lot more frequently like they're using deep learning models for, you know, for time series, for tabular, the recommender system space, there is a lot more widespread usage of deep learning and it's much more common to see there. But I think the, the systems and the tools we're building are equally applicable across the other areas of tabular. And it was just one of those things where it just stuck in my brain as like a, an interesting problem. Like, oh, tabular deep learning seems to make sense. It could be a thing. You know, there's been a few successes in Kaggle, but it's not really clear that it's the straightforward winner in these contexts. There's advantages in the sense that like, it's easier, generally speaking, to combine other types of modalities like images and text with tabular in the deep learning domain. And so, you know, when you want to do those kinds of things, like in a recommender system setting where you've got somebody in online dating or the profile of a house includes, you know, 
the images of the house, the text that describes the house, plus a bunch of tabular features. And I think a lot of data in the world fits that descriptor. It's just sort of, we tend to pick and choose one or the other for these models. And so really where I wanna go with this in the end is you know, multimodal tabular plus images, plus text, plus video potentially, like whatever else. And, and you need all of these different representations in order to, to really understand something. Recommender Systems was sort of the, the place where we saw the most traction in terms of companies that are openly and publicly using it. I think um, there was a good sort of tweet question about like, well, why don't you see tabular deep learning more commonly espoused? And, and part of it, I think, is that finance is one of the areas where I'm clear it, it, it's being used, but it's one of those areas where a lot of the data sets that are, people are using are not proprietary. Right in a Rexa space, you know, you most customers have a proprietary data set, and that's their their bread and butter, and that's how they're, you know, they're maintaining their competitive edge. But a lot of the a lot of the trading's happening using public data sets, or at least you know publicly available data. So you're not going to give up your competitive advantage by revealing like the methodology that you're using because it it could be reproduced by somebody else. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I want to talk about the technology stack that is being called NVIDIA Merlin. And that's made up of several pieces. The one that I'm most familiar with is NVTabular. You mentioned the team in China working on big CTR. Uh, tell us a little bit about how Merlin evolved. Because if memory serves me correctly, it was originally NVTabular and Merlin is sort of a, a suite that gives people an end-to-end -end way of using tabular deep learning from training to inference in their organization. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this sort of stemmed from a vision of Jensen where he was able to connect the dots across multiple projects. I've got this team in, in distributed across North America that's working on pre-processing, getting data ready for recommender systems. I've got this team in China that's developing this technology that's you know the, the culmination of how to build multi-GPU and distributed recommender systems. And these teams are separate teams. That doesn't make sense. They're both covering the space of recommender systems. Let's try and figure out a broader vision for recommender systems. And so, you know, it just became this, okay, you guys are now one team. Let's figure out, you know, how to move forward. And, and there were some pain points for sure, trying to figure out like, how do we navigate, you know, going forward with a team that's in a different time zone, that's focused on a different kind of part of the stack, that's, you know, doing things in a very different way. Um, but, you know, we've worked really hard with them. And I think in, in the process, we've grown that vision of what Merlin is from originally this idea of a, we're going to make it straightforward to accelerate deep learning based recommenders on the GPU. We want to make it you know, we, first we want to make sure that they're accelerated on the GPU and then we're going to make sure that that's easy to do. But we're starting to broaden that scope and start to think about like huge CTR is this amazing product that's sort of designed to do like multi GPU, multi node. You know, for the customers that need this, it's this critical piece of software that really lets you scale recommender systems. But it's really only applicable for 1% of our customers, if that. Like you've got to be a you know, multinational, huge e-commerce site. These are companies that are few and far between, and they, they can leverage this massive amount of data. And, and you know, they have these giant multi-GPU nodes that they can distribute the workload across to train. And so, you know, the team is focused on making sure that that is super performant. And that's really, really important because that's a large part of the GPU cycles that are happening 
But there's also like a lot of companies kind of in the middle of that journey that are you know just starting to figure out deep learning based recommenders using other frameworks. You know, we started to want to be inclusive to them. And so we started looking at things like our data loader where we, we have a PyTorch and TensorFlow data loader that gets data to the GPU efficiently in recommender system type formats. We just recently released for these, or will we be releasing ACM Rexus, the library for doing session-based recommendation? We're actually looking at integrating things like Forest Inference Library on the inference side and, and XGBoost GPU accelerated version as part of Merlin. What we're trying to do within the, the context of Merlin is take the pieces of NVIDIA that make sense in the context of recommendation, like Triton Inference Server is, you know, is our inference serving framework. We built a bunch of backends for it you know, to do NVTabular-based feature engineering and pre-processing on the GPU as the data flows into the model. We've added a bunch of features to that. Huge CTR has a Triton backend that, that allows you to do the multi-GPU, multi-node, like how to take those models and do it efficiently using a parameter server where you essentially cache the important parts of the model that are on the GPU. And so there's all these techniques we've kind of been aggregating across the company. And Merlin is looking at the giant multifaceted gem that is NVIDIA from the viewpoint of recommender systems. And it's going to grow beyond you know, necessarily what happens on the GPU. Like, I mean, we're trying to support customers who start on CPU and then want to explore GPU. And so the goal is to eventually get to the point where we're just the best in class for deploying recommender systems into production and, and training and building recommender systems and, and preparing data for recommender systems, no matter the type of recommender system. Nice. And so my understanding is if somebody is sitting, let's say, at some e-commerce site as a data scientist, they can go and take what exists with Merlin off of GitHub and move their recommendation infrastructure over to these new techniques, basically not counting the work they'd have to do for free. The software is free and it just makes it easier to deploy what I'll, I'll say for lack of a better word, these more modern Rexis techniques. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, a big part of what we're doing is open sourcing this. Can we come up with an opinionated API and opinionated solution to this space that really helps people build recommender systems easier? And I think you know, one of the key realizations for us over the last year has been this, like building and deploying a recommender system into production is a very, very complex process. And I think part of that complexity is it's not just a data scientist who's, you know, hey, I've got this idea and I'm, I'm preparing the data and I'm creating the model, right? There's also typically, you know, an ML engineer or the data scientist may be playing that role as well, but there's somebody has to kind of take that model and get it ready for the production environment. And so really thinking about like, how do we make sure the tools we're building fit for both of those roles of, of the data scientist and the ML engineer? And now we're starting to think even about the ML ops and, and how do we like, how do we make sure that the models when they're trained produce the right, like, or the, the data sets when they're being evaluated or generated, that they produce the right distributions, that we can then monitor those distributions in production to make sure that the data distributions being fed into the model are similar to what the model was trained on. With recommender systems, part of what makes them so complex is that cyclic nature, right? So if I start out with a recommender system that's always recommending to you, you know, things, items that are red. Now the data that the system has is, you know, here's this red item and, and Paul clicked on it. So now I've got the signal that you like red. So now I'm gonna show you more red things. If all I'm ever showing you are red things, then the only option you have to click on is red things. And so that, that signal may be a false signal. And so there's 
like you have to do a bunch of things within the system to properly log the like the likelihood that I've shown you something red to get a sense of are you actually interested in that or is this just like the only things I've ever shown you are are, are those red things and that's what you're clicking on you know for that reason and then you know like I have a model that's that's trained you know and that's serving you things but now that you've fed me some more information I need to retrain the model or I need to leverage that information in order to properly provide better recommendations the next time you come to the site. And so really thinking about that retraining loop, it's much more frequent than most ML spaces. Like language, for example, when you're training a language model, like, yes, you want to fine tune it particular domains and there's, there's reasons for that, but language doesn't change that much over time, right? Like, you know, a baseline language model is a, you know, a foundational starting point, but your preferences change dramatically over time, right? They can even change, you know, from one second to the next, right? And so, and, and recommender systems are this, this incredibly interesting area where you're trying to model the context of user preference, you know? So the person who's on the site interacting with it, what are their preferences? What are they interested in in that moment? That's an incredibly complex thing to be modeling, right? And in many cases, the signals just aren't there. And so you, you really have to try and figure out how that all works. I feel like we're, you know, we're really just at the beginning of recommender systems, especially deep learning-based recommender systems. There's, you know, there's so much opportunity there. And what I'm excited about is the Rapids ecosystem allows us on the MB tabular side to sort of pre-process and, and prepare the data 10 times faster and to scale potentially 10 times larger in the same amount of time. The data loaders that we've developed on top of Rapids allow us to do training 10 times faster. And so suddenly, you know, we can scale that by 10x. And that, you know, that's beginning to sort of see this, this revolution that, that I'm expecting to take place, you know, in the recommender system space. It's, we're, we're certainly not there yet. There's a lot of, lot of room to go. And, but Three years ago, when I first started down this path, and I was, you know, at this ACM Rexus competition, and we'd taken, you know, the the Rexus challenge that year, and we were sixth place. We 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 didn't place first. It was a you know a smaller and, and more inexperienced team, and we didn't have as much time to focus on it. But we we took our solution and we sped it up from the initial solution. We sped it up 25x. Oh wow! Right, using using Rapids and using the, the you know the the GPU accelerated data loaders. And so, you know, this this 25x meant that we could train much, much more quickly and efficiently. And I brought this around to some people at different companies, and you know, they, they still were pretty hesitant and questionable at the idea of like recommender systems working on GPU. You know, it doesn't doesn't make sense to them because a big part of recommender systems are the embedding tables. And an embedding table for for the listeners who aren't familiar, it's it's a sort of a, a vectorized numerical representation where you can look up, for example, like if Paul and I are both in the system, my number might be 1,005 and that 1,005 will look up a vector that represents me within, within user space and Paul will have a similar vector. And then all the items we interact with are gonna be potentially in another sort of re representation. But that means that for every user, there's this sort of this string of numbers. Those embeddings take up you know, a huge chunk of, of available memory and you know that's, that's a challenge when GPUs had 11 gigs of memory, certainly. And that was the case three, four, five years ago. But with, with the, the A100s coming out with 80 gigs of memory, suddenly, you know, and, and in particular with the DGX A100s where you can, you know, have this fast interconnect between them. So you can not just have an embedding table hosted on a single GPU, but you can have it distributed across multiple GPUs. 
and, and huge CGR kind of tackles that side of things. Suddenly you're able to scale the types of models. So the hardware has changed dramatically in terms of you know, what's available. And the, the amazing thing about GPU memory is it's about 10 times faster than, than host memory. So these embeddings being the core part of the recommender system model, every sort of system starts with that lookup of like, here's the user, here's the items we wanna to show to them. Here's the categorical features that represent like the interests of the items or the, or the, the aspects of the user. We're going to feed all of that into the model. So memory bandwidth and memory lookup is super important. And that's grown exponentially as well from, you know, hundreds of megabytes a second. And now, like, I think the, the A100 that I referred to has two terabytes a second, right? And so the, the hardware has changed massively in the last two or three years. And now I'm starting to have conversations with those same people I talked to two or three years ago. And they get the vision. Not only has the hardware changed, but also... The software has changed as well in the sense that like they understand, oh, okay, this data loading method makes a lot of sense. And there's other techniques that, you know, that really work well for recommender systems too. Like recommender system data tends to be sort of follows this exponential or power law curve, right? Where there's some users that engage with the service a lot more than others. And there's some items that are engaged with a lot more than others. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that sort of data access pattern and data locality being important, you know, I, I'm amazed it took us this long to get to, but but really like the idea of caching those frequently accessed items on the GPU, previous to this recent development of the huge CTR team kind of developing this parameter server and these ideas of, of a GPU embedding cache, pretty much it was like you put all of the embeddings on the GPU or you put them all on the CPU and those were your choices. Mm. And if you put them all on the GPU, then they have to fit. So you got to figure out like, how do we get all of these to fit? And we you know, probably have some constraints around, you know, what we're going to consider for a user they have to have a certain number of interactions and we'll do a bunch of filtering to try and get that down versus, okay, now they're all on the CPU, but now we've got this IO bottleneck of like, okay, we've got to pass these giant vectors of numbers across to the GPU every time we want to do training or inference. It's this big shift now of, okay, well, now we have a cache and the, the hot items are sitting on the GPU and they're already there and, and 95 or whatever percent of our lookups or 98% of our lookups are already in GPU memory. And we're just hitting off GPU for the, the small percentage that, that aren't there. And that makes things just so much faster, right? And so there's there's these revolutions happening both on the hardware and the software side that I think are going to push that narrative of like recommender systems on GPU don't make sense to like, you're doing a recommender system on CPU kind of in the same way that like nobody is thinking about computer vision or NLP on a CPU these days. Right. And it just doesn't make sense. Like who who would think about training or even inference of a NLP or a, a computer vision model on CPU. I'm working at NVIDIA. I'm, a, I'm definitely a, you know, a, a GPU fanboy, but it, it's like from a logical standpoint. Yeah, but it's like traveling by steamer ship to Asia rather than taking a jet at this point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, previously that, that jet like couldn't get off the runway, right? And, and yeah. <laughs> now we're getting it to the point where it, it can, right? And Rapids was a big part of that. And we're able to take the the ideas that you know that are baked into Rapids in terms of performance and say, okay, well, Rapids is taking care of the performance for us. We don't need to worry about that aspect of it. So now we can focus on like, how do users use recommender systems? Like, what are the core things that they do? How do we think about this problem from a like a, a different layer of abstraction, and and accelerate you know leveraging the the power of Rapids underneath? One question that I thought about with respect to recommender systems this last month is that over the 4th of July, I went to uh, DC where I used to live and there's a lot more bookstores, like physical bookstores than there are in 
Denver and I came across certain books either in conversation with bookstore employees or otherwise that I wouldn't find from the large website that I normally buy books from. You know, when I worked at a bookstore or when I visited them, it felt like I would get more interesting reading material because somebody would be able to quickly synthesize my interests and be aware of something adjacent to that. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there's there's better and worse examples of recommendation and there's different like different contexts around recommendation, right? And and the um you know the the bookstore owner that or or employee that you're talking to, right? You're you're generating kind of a shared context with them where you're you're having a dialogue about the things that you like and the things that you're interested in. And that's the context from which they're making their recommendation. And you know, and the human brains are incredibly complex and, and sophisticated and like a recommender system, you know, is is trying to model some of that context, but you know, you probably haven't given it that information beyond the fact that like maybe you've bought a few mm -hmm. items or you've clicked on a few items that are similar to the item. So in some cases, I don't feel like the user interface is there to provide the experience that you're looking for, but the context and the way that you input the information, right? Like, right. And so if you move it to a recommender that's like the purely, you know, just trying to recommend you a, a good book to read, you might find a better experience, although even there, it's like it's the only thing they're modeling in these contexts generally is, oh, you interacted with these things, you're probably going to like these things. There are ways to kind of like map those products. The exploration side of recommender systems is, is one that's very, very hard to model and very, very hard to, you know, to predict and understand. And, and it, it's, it's a very challenging task to try and you know, balance that with something like the revenue mm -hmm. of your company where, you know, you want to recommend something that's, you know, that's outside the norm, but, you know, the thing that you might buy more likely is, is this other kind of thing that's a little more kind of mainstream or a little more common. There's more confidence that you're going to make that purchase than you're going to make a purchase around sort of the more abstract item that's being recommended. And some of it's the context of the bookstore too, right? Like, you're in the bookstore, you're having a conversation with this person, they're describing, you know, in detail that why they like it, why they think it's a good fit for you. Mm. And that colors your perception right. versus being on a screen and just looking at these options. And, you know, it's complex though. Even what I want to ask you about while we have you is walk us through the victory that you and your team just won in the ACM Rexis challenge. Uh, I'm interested in how you approach a problem space like that, because all recommenders aren't the same. If they were, there would be one solution for every problem. And so, you know, how you size up the problem space, how a team of people that probably have strong views on what to do work together or how you ensemble your solutions. Just uh, tell us what that process was like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the team itself is, uh, you know, we, we have the benefit of having uh, a team at NVIDIA called the Kijimon, the Kaggle Grandmasters of NVIDIA. And um, they are, um, they're, you know, Kaggle Grandmasters are incredibly talented engineers, incredibly, you know, um, knowledgeable at competitions and how to, you know, how to compete and how to effectively develop solutions. Um, and we collaborate very closely with them on the Rexus team. So um, the Merlin team had some participants this year um, with them. And we actually competed last year and took first place last year as well um, in the ACM Rexus challenge. And so, you know, this is the, the newest in a recent string of victories for, for the team, which is exciting. Yeah, in terms of the collaboration styles, um, I think, you know, for a competition 
often the way to win it is to have you know diverse models and diverse ideas and so there's you know at the start of the competition there's sort of some idea sharing and we often share throughout the competition you know just our our, our thoughts but a lot of the development does happen kind of in our own little silos now, i i can't claim any credit for this year's competition in the sense that like i really just chatted with the team and kind of provided my my thoughts and advice and helped do some of the administrative work but really it was the the four key members that were involved this year um Chris, Bo, Jiva, and Benedict. And so there's so many different ways to, to come at the problem. And, and I think the, the tooling that we've developed in the Rapids ecosystem and with Merlin really helped support fast iteration and, and developing super quick solutions. This was a bit of an interesting challenge in the sense that, you know, this year there was a, a limitation of inference solutions had to be on CPU. And so you know, this was one of the big constraints that threw us for a, a bit of a quandary at the start of the competition. How do we, as a company that's focused on GPU acceleration, develop a solution for the CPU side of things that's going to be powerful and efficient? But you know, a lot of the libraries we're developing work in both contexts as well. Um, and MB Tabular has a new release. This release will support both CPU and GPU. And we do that both to broaden the ecosystem and, and, and also to support the people who want to do work on their laptop at the start and then you know maybe migrate to a GPU and then migrate to a, a big cluster afterwards. And so the team really, they worked hard to make this thing work on CPU. There was a number of different models that were trained. I think they had six sort of initial models in the first stage, uh, XGBoost models, and then three um, deep learning based models. And then those were combined using two XGBoost models that would stack the results of those models. The eight models in total took, you know, between the, the data prep and the evaluation of the, the models on the GPU for the, the 200,000 or sorry, 200 million or so entries for the, the inference solution, they took 23 hours and 40 minutes, I think, on the CPU for you know, for a single core CPU, which is how the competition was set up. And using a, an A100, so just a single GPU, not even a DGX A100, but a single A100, the team was able to, after some significant sort of effort, sort of optimize a little bit there, but but really not that much work in, in the long run. They, they got that down to five and a half minutes. Ah, um, quite a difference. And so, Quite a difference, yeah. And so it's funny that the you know the initial framing of the competition was you know it's on CPU because that's sort of the realistic compute you know, winner. But really, we were able to provide a solution that was nine times more cost efficient and a few hundred times faster. Even if we're not sort of limiting that instance to a single core and and trying to optimize for you know for the eight core system or or whatever else, we still you know saw. The, the GPU-based solution is orders of magnitude faster and less expensive because of it. For people that are interested in getting their feet wet with building recommendation systems, do you know of any like sandbox data sets or anything that you would recommend for somebody that might have a data science background, but is interested in this specific aspect of data science and may not have exposure to it where they're currently working. Yeah, data uh, data sets for Rexus are one of the biggest challenges. Um, the largest, you know, and the one of the best known is Corteo, which is which is quite massive. Um, the one that we've used for a lot of recent explorations for uh, session-based recommendation is the Reese 46, I think it's called, um, and you can find that on Kaggle. And there's a it's an e-commerce session-based recommender system data set. Kaggle has a few 
reasonable data sets. The, the two most recent Rexus challenges came out of Twitter, and those are, are good-sized data sets. You have to jump through a bunch of hoops to get access to them through the, the Twitter APIs, you know, but well worth it after you do because the last year's was a 20 million, or sorry, 200 million tweet, and this year is a billion tweet data set. So, you know, it's it's pretty substantial in terms of the the amount of data. But yeah, the, I mean, the classic and the one that we provide on our website as our sort of toy data set is Movie Lens, which I think is the most common. It's like a, a movie recommendation, which is a, a context that most people can understand. And I'll link uh, the uh, Merlin site and some of the other uh, material that your team has uh, worked on recently in the episode description for listeners that are interested. This will be a two-part question, and I'll begin asking what the near future holds for your work? And then the second part is, what do you think the middle term future will look like for recommendation systems in general? Will they proliferate to more places? Will And earlier you had mentioned in our conversation a more heterogeneous ingestion of data. So photos and some kind of better text embeddings along with more traditional Rexis data, like past purchase history or past viewing behavior. Beyond that, I'd be curious to hear what you think, your speculative idea of what uh, recommendation systems might seem like to the users in five years from now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say where things are going to be in five years, given, you know, how much the field has changed. It's it's massive. And I think it's undergoing one of those inflection points. I think I talked about a little bit earlier, just in terms of like the GPU tooling that we're enabling, the software and the hardware is making it so that you can train, you know, 10 times as large a model um, and that's becoming feasible. So I think the one thing I'm fairly certain of is that in the five-year timeline, GPUs are going to become much more ubiquitous, um, much more commonly used in that in that space, in that context. In terms of the software that we're developing and, and kind of what we're working on, there's still a big barrier to entry to building recommender systems. The current teams that are really successful at it, they have large software engineering teams sort of supporting the deployment of recommenders into production. There's more than just a single model to a recommender system. There's often, you know, something called a candidate generation stage where you, you know, you're coming up with the options and then and then a ranking stage. And, and even within the context of those, there's, you know, there's things you need to do like filtering out examples that the user's seen before, for example, or, you know, in the ordering, you may have special business logic you want to apply. And so there's, there's a, a number of different pieces to this Rexus pipeline that you need to kind of interleave and make sure that they all work together. And so I haven't seen much in the way of tooling that supports the entire pipeline. Most of the focus is really on the ranking part on the, like the deep learning model or whatever type of model that's going to be kind of predicting whether it's a good fit for the user or not based on the context. Really what we're trying to do in the next year or two is try and provide tooling that supports that sort of that extended pipeline, that full ecosystem. So thinking about how do we go end to end? There's a lot of different stages that need to be developed. Um, and, and not all of it's going to fit on the GPU or, or need to be on the GPU. But I think, you know, in, in a lot of cases, if we can put the right parts on the GPU, we're going to accelerate that pipeline quite a bit. And just providing examples of how it all works together and fitting it into the sort of the overall context of building a recommender system if we can make recommenders easier to deploy into production, I think that's going to be the key. And when I first started out on this, it was, uh, I want to make 
deep learning based recommenders easier, but I think recommenders in general are, are just very hard, complex systems to deploy and build. If we're going to see this space grow, we need to really push the limit you know, of the, the open source software that's out there and see how we can develop solutions that support that entire pipeline, that entire ecosystem, because without it, we're going to struggle to see any change. All these individual companies kind of have their own individual solutions to these problems. Like there's not a strong motivation to release their entire pipeline. <laughs> so, um, so without the entire pipeline, it's very hard for somebody new coming into this to build something. And especially thinking about like the migration paths of, okay, now I, I started with a basic system you know, some sort of tree-based model, but now I've got a lot of data and I want to explore, you know, collaborative filtering, or I want to, you know, explore deep learning-based models, or I've got, you know, session data now that's coming in. I want to aggregate my data into sessions and explore that, or, you know, I'm starting to get to the point where I've got hundreds of millions of users and I can't fit everything on a GPU. How do I scale beyond? Trying to do all of that in the same framework is sort of where we're headed is, you know, being able to support all of those different options and, and really thinking about the journey of a, a team that's building recommender systems and not just, you know, like a, an individual who's trying to build a recommender system. Throughout your career in data science, it seems like you've been able to stay relatively close to the cutting edge or on the cutting edge a lot of times. And I, I imagine that beginning with computer vision, which in my very crude understanding at one point was very much rules and heuristics based to the huge advances we've seen in deep learning. What do you think has served you the best in being able to continue to find work that you're interested in and that is, you know, intellectually gauging for you yourself and also, you know, valuable to the wider world? Good question. I think, I mean, for me, I've been lucky enough that, you know, that i I've found a strong passion in recommender systems and in, you know, in, in especially in deep learning based recommender systems and how they're built. You know, when I first discovered the concept of, of deep learning and tabular and, and, and how that all fit together, just something about it really excited me. And so I started digging in and uh, honestly, really lucky. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the, the roles that I've had have kind of led me to this position, which is, you know, this amazing, amazing opportunity to really like most people working in the Rexa space are building recommender systems. And that's something that I've done in the past, but, but to be in the position where I'm building tools for people who are building recommender systems and really trying to shift the whole field, move the whole field forward is, is, you know, it's a, a, a huge honor. Um, and, uh, and it's really exciting to, you know, to have a team of engineers who are equally excited to work alongside. And when I first went to Rexus, the, the ACM Rexus conference three years ago, it was in Vancouver and, and my friend Ben, who actually you know, I hired for the team, um, he lives just up the street and we'd met, I kind of saw his blog post on approximate nearest neighbors and thought it was interesting and wrote him, said on the blog that he was in Vancouver and we talked about going for a beer and then pinged each other and realized we lived, you know, half block away from each other. Right? <laughs> nice. My wife actually went to, to university with him. And, and so, you know, when he was looking for local industry talks, he pinged me. The conversations that I had after that talk were just about embedding spaces and deep learning based recommenders and how that whole system works. And, you know, it was just like, like a deep passion ignited within me. And, and I've been lucky enough to be able to kind of continue chasing that and, and continue pursuing it. Beyond um, the Fast AI course, which everybody I think should check out if they have the time to do it, um, are there other 
um, learning resources that you know that are targeted specifically at tabular deep learning? ASAI is one of the best. Um, I mean, for tabular, it's a bit of an esoteric space. And so really most of the work going on is kind of going on in, in papers right now. And so you, you kind of got to dig into the academic paper space. There's not much beyond that. Um, you know, we're doing some explorations and some research into it as well. And, and I think Rexis is sort of an adjacent field that, that covers a lot of tabular data. And so you know, there's there's some interesting work going on there. But similarly, there's not like there's not really a sort of aggregation of, of ideas for recommender systems either that I think you know I could point to. It's tough. It's a lot of the knowledge in that field is is sort of hard won. It's such a hard field to kind of get into and, and really like build knowledge in. So yeah. Well, maybe it could be a project for a very ambitious listener. We are just about out of time. So I will ask you um, what I ask all my guests. Is there something that you wish I would have asked that I haven't? Yeah, no, I think it comes. I mean, the only other thing that I want to bring up is just, you know, how grateful I am to all the other teams at NVIDIA that are supporting this effort, right? Like the Merlin team wouldn't exist without the foundation of Rapids and the competition wins that we've had recently wouldn't exist without the incredible work that the KGMON teams put in and you know, like recommender systems on GPU wouldn't make sense if the hardware teams hadn't done these, you know, made these amazing transformations to the amount of memory and, and bandwidth on the GPU. And it's NVIDIA is, is such a great culture of, of collaboration and all kind of working together to, to develop something, you know, for the, for the future really. And, and it's amazing, an amazing place to be. I guess the, the, the plug I'll, I'll throw in and is that my team is actually looking for, for machine learning engineers. Um, if you're interested in, in the idea of, you know, developing a, a software engineering library dedicated to recommender systems then reach out and, I'd love to love to hear from you. Well, uh, even thank you very much for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. It was great chatting. Big thanks again to Even. I have a lot of links in the episode description this week to Envy Merlin, to Envy Tabular, to a bunch of blogs about the subjects, and to the data set that Even mentioned towards the end. So take a look. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it. We would love to have you part of our community and part of the conversation. I'd also really appreciate it if you write a review wherever you get podcasts. That really helps other people find it. Our guest next week is going to be Marlene Magame. We're going to talk about the foundation that she started to teach women and girls how to code in Zimbabwe. We're going to talk to her about her experience sitting on the board of the Python Software Foundation and a whole lot more. It's a great episode, and I look forward to seeing you then. Thanks. Thanks.